Yesterday, August 28th, marked the 47th anniversary of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I'll give you a little bit of background. The speech was given as the last event of a huge march in Washington, D.C., August 28, 1963. It was called the March for Jobs and Freedom. It included a number of religious leaders, labor leaders, community organizers, thousands, tens of thousands of people. This speech was carried live on major TV networks and is in part credited with mobilizing supporters of desegregation and prompting the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The following year, King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. If anyone is wondering what a visioning statement would look like, the last section of his speech is instructive. We'll get to that later. In the beginning of the speech, he said, and this is quoting him, Five score years ago, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, a joyous daybreak to the end of the long night of captivity. He continued, a hundred years later, the Negro is still not free. He then spoke of each American being promised the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but that, quote, America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. It is time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice. In the speech, he warned against violence, saying, quote, In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. He went on to say we must forever conduct our struggle on the high planes of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our protest to degenerate into physical violence. Going further, he said, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. Now, I bring attention to this anniversary not merely as an historic footnote, but rather as a call to action. <clears throat> Yesterday, under the, on the same steps of the Lincoln Memorial uh, where Martin Luther King gave his speech, there was a, uh, another rally. This was conducted by a right-wing pundit, um, and it was called Restoring Honor, and I think it, it, it probably went very well. One of the sponsors of this was a man named Andrew Breitheart of the doctored video fame. Just when you think progress is being made in racial equality, that in a way of speaking it's safe to go back in the water, then something like the handiwork of Breitup and the, complex, and the complicity of others comes into being. You probably remember this. It was the USA, USDA official who was giving her story to um, the NAACP, uh, a meeting of the NAACP. And in it, she tells of her journey from her own prejudice 
to uh, coming to of uh, helping a white family. She's she's a black woman, uh, and her journey to where she then uh, helps them, and it's a um, it's a good story. Well, when in the doctored video, what he did is he just talked about he just cut the end of the story so it looked like she was um, rife with prejudice. Now there are a couple of things from this story. One is just the irony of it. It's the, um, maybe you don't need a hood to hoodwink others. Um, And that she did lose her job. I mean, it's like people fell for this, like, hidden ball trick. Anyway, you couldn't make this stuff up. Oh, no, no, wait. Yes, you can. Um, Anyway. (laughs) A concern I have is that there are forces at work to hijack or subvert issues of social justice or wrap them in the rhetoric so that they appear anti-American, anti-democratic, they appear socialist, Marxist, odd absurdum. So just what are social justice issues anyway? What do they matter? What role should or will the church take on? Essentially, do I, do we, individually, and as a collective, have a horse in this race. First, I think it's good to remember, to remember what the statesman said when all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Social justice issues seem to be those things that, interestingly enough, have spawned cable news shows, or more rightly named cable pundit shows, These are the issues that encompass both secular and spiritual issues. They're concerns that are based on the principles of equality, human rights, and the recognition of the dignity of every human being. They include, but aren't limited to, freedom from exploitation, freedom to choose, liberty of conscience, political liberty. Social justice has and should have a central place in most religions and most wisdom traditions because fundamentally it's the recognition that all people have basic human rights and should have equal access to benefits. It's biblical, as Jesus taught, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Any idea that we, as Unitarian Universalists, are living our principles requires a social justice consciousness. All around us are examples of difficulties, whether it's racial inequality, such as the Gina Six or the story with Brightheart, uh, attacks on women's rights to choose, assaults on the Constitution uh, in regard to immigration of the so-called anchor babies, Uh, difficulties with health care access, religious tolerance and freedom issues such as building the mosque in New York, uh, difficulties with education, uh, Prop 8, uh, the list goes on and on. So through the lens of our principles, how do we view these things and what are we called to do? What are we called to do to live in right relationship and in accordance with our principles. You know, from a f- personal standpoint, 
Unfortunately, it's easy to be complacent. It's easy to be smug. To think, it's really none of my business. Hey, I'm Caucasian. I'm too old to have pregnancy concerns, so I don't have to worry about abortion rights. I have a good job. I'm not Muslim. I wasn't born in another country. In fact, I have a Blue Cross Blue Shield card in my purse, so it's all good. But how about that GLBT thing? What about marriage equality? In thinking about this, it's good to heed Martin Niemöller's haunting words. When they came for the when the Nazis came for the communist, I did not speak out as I was not a communist. When they locked up the social democrats, I did not speak out. I was not a social democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out as I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I did not speak out as I was not a Jew. When they came for me, <clears throat> there was no one left to speak out. So what is our church called to do in these times when there's unrest and seemingly civil rights and human rights are in the crosshairs? First of all, I think it's important to not sleep through the turmoil. The church has a responsibility to be a voice for equality and to be a moral guardian of the community. It would be great if our church became the conscience of Shreveport, like the church in Tulsa when I went to workshop there and to know that it was considered, the UU church in Tulsa is considered the conscience of Tulsa. I hear at different times from different voices in this church a spiritual longing for something deeper, something that coalesces us and binds us, the wish for a center. We celebrate individual freedom to question. We seek diversity. So what binds us together? Perhaps our hunger for committed life. Our church, more than most, can, have, can fill a, a heroic role, which is to provide sanctuary or a haven for people who have to be concealed and silent elsewhere. You know, something I've learned from many years of counseling is this. Once you know or see something, ignorance or denial doesn't work. As a church, we run the risk of being irrelevant, inconsequential, having no gravitas, if we metaphorically sleep, avert our eyes, or otherwise turn away from grappling with these significant and defining issues. I've been a member of All Souls for 14 years, and throughout this time, different forums, meetings, board meetings, and sermons, the question emerges, what is the UU identity? What's our mission? Why are we here? It seems to revolve around a central question now as always, how do we live in a world broken and flawed as it is, in a way that continues to grow our soul and the souls of those around us. One answer, and we do know that the answers always change, 
because the questions remain the same, anyway, is to speak up, stand up, take up the mantle for equal rights, civil rights, marriage rights, educational reform, freedom of choice, environmental protection. We need to resist in word and action policies that degrade, dehumanize, or define anyone as a non-person. You know, one of the hallmarks of Unitarian Universalism is the belief that there's no hell. The Universalist part of it says that God is too good to create hell. The Unitarians would say that humans are too good to have hell. Now, so we can say, what is the impact of this? Well, we know that appealing to fear and guilt really doesn't work, which is a distinct disadvantage during pledge drive, but we'll come back to that. That's a whole other sermon. Soteriology is a religious concept, and it's the, it's the study of doctrines of salvation. So what is it that Unitarian Universalists need to be saved from if we don't believe in hell? Well, according to Rebecca Parker, who is the president of Star King, she says, Heaven and hell are here on earth and are created by human beings whenever we relate violently, oppressively, or cruelly to one another. So I think the question for each one of us personally and as a congregation is what collective hells have I contributed to or been complicit with, such as how have I been complicit with racism, sexism, homophobia, illiteracy, ageism, environmental destruction. Whoever, whenever we dehumanize anyone is part of creating this hell. I know for myself, I do this if I belittle someone or use caricature or parody in describing them, because all that will do is obscure their view and try to make them less than human. So what's my part, or what's our part, of clearing up at least my little piece of hell? In AA, this would be called keeping your side, or my side of the street clean. First, I can accept my participation in the collective problem or in the collective hell. I can change my interaction, attempting to live out Gandhi's maxim, which is to embody the change you wish to see. As Barbara aptly pointed out a a few weeks ago when she said, you know, no one's ever going to be insulted into agreement. Second, we can become more empathic by listening harder and trying to hear from inside another person's experience. No matter how right I think I am and I might be, I'm going to get nowhere if I don't listen to what another person is saying. And really, how can I expect them to listen to me if I haven't paid attention to them? Third is to practice compassion, allowing myself to be charged, challenged, and changed for right relationship. 
I have to believe that somehow the way out of this hell involves ethic of love, again, something that Barbara talked about a couple of weeks ago. Martin Luther King gave the Ware Lecture to the General Assembly of Unitarian Universalists uh, in 1966, which was three years after I Have a Dream speech. In his lecture, he articulated the basic belief of the nonviolent movement in terms of agape, a type of love. He said, the best moments of our struggle are when we try to adhere to this, when we have been able to stand up in the face of our most, what, what, in the face I broke my good glasses, so I have to have other glasses here for a second. In the face of our most violent oppressor and say, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Be assured we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day, we will win our freedom, and not only for ourselves, but will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process. Inarguably, we live in an interdependent web. It is our seventh principle. It's saying that all of life is interrelated, I cannot be all I ought to be until you have the chance to be what you might be. No one is free when others are oppressed. So, in ending, we are summoned to do social justice work because we're responsible for it, because it's the right thing to do, because we understand that we are part of the interdependent web and that what happens to you matters to me. And to grow spiritually, we must face the brokenness of life and through it all to know that we'll get through it together and that's the only way we'll get through it. Now, hortatory speech is good. I would like to think that what I've said is can motivate, but action is better. Getting involved in interfaith, as a number of our members are, Barbara, Susan Bettinger, Susan Caldwell, Ron, I've gone to some meetings, but being involved in the groups such as interfaith, being involved in World Religion Day, being active in community affairs, uh, letters to congressmen, vote, letters to the editor. We can practice random acts of social justice, by being empathic, showing compassion, being civil, even in the face of rudeness, remembering that if I make someone else the butt of my joke, I haven't done anything to raise the level of discourse. One tenet of our faith is that there's a spark of sacred in each of us. And part of our work is to look for and nurture this spark in each other and by doing so, continue to keep our own spark alive. Thank you. And if
Thank you.